Greetings and welcome to the Recombobulation Area. My name is Dan Schaefer. Thank you for joining us. We are thrilled to be joined today by one of the top-rated pollsters in the country, Charles Franklin, the Executive Director of the Marquette University Law School Poll. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Recombobulation Area. It's great to be here. I'm a happy subscriber, first-time guest. Uh, We thank you very much for your support. But uh, yeah, we're very excited to sit down with you here uh, because, as you're aware, we have written a a breakdown of every Marquette University Law School poll since we started the Recombobulation Area. And now here we are in an election year. It's 2024. Uh, Wisconsin is the tipping point state in in the country, uh, and we are starting to look ahead at things here. Uh, and we just you just released the first poll uh, of 2024. And surprise, surprise, the top of the ticket, Trump and Biden, uh, the projected candidates here, uh, are locked in a dead heat in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, just a toss-up, same as it ever was. Who right? knew we could be so close, you know? Um, I, I, when you look at it, recent elections, there have been exceptions. Baldwin winning by 11 in 2018. Even Evers winning by three and a half was not a squeaker in 2022. A Wisconsin landslide. A Wisconsin landslide. (laughs) Uh, We don't have mountains, but we have small landslides. (laughs) Um, But I think that as things look today, granted it may change, this is likely to be a year that, again, we're really close right up to Election Day and probably on Election Day. Something could happen that tilts that balance. But going into the year, looking at the November polling and the new January polls, it sure looks like a close race. So the fascinating thing about the year is less likely to be big swings up and down in who's ahead and more interest in looking at what's changing underneath the hood. Are groups shifting their views at all? Are the campaign messages changing voters' perceptions? And in the big picture, are our perceptions of the economy or the border or health care issues that become more or less important over the year? Yeah, it's, the, it's those under-the-hood numbers that I think are interesting right now because you could kind of go at any point in the election cycle and say, yeah, I think Wisconsin's going to be a toss-up. This is going to be close. You know, four of our last six yeah. presidential elections in the state have been decided by less than 1%. Uh, you know, obviously with this being projecting to be a rematch, um, of four years ago, you know, when it was extremely close as well, it projects to be extremely close again here. So as, as you took a look under the hood with some of those, was there any numbers that really jumped out to you uh, between the Trump and Biden I, matchup? I mean, on the, on the issues, we didn't see a lot of shift, but immigration and the border is the biggest advantage for Trump right now, having been second biggest advantage in November. So now we are looking at that big Trump advantage on the border, second biggest on the economy, Mm -hmm. uh, but second, not first this time. Then Israel and Hamas is the next biggest Trump advantage. Then we get a couple of three issues that are very closely divided, and we end up with the biggest Biden advantages are on Medicare and Social Security and on abortion policy, though his advantages in those two are not as large as Trump is, Trump's advantages in the first two. Under normal circumstances, if you said 
here are the two issues that most people say are the most important problems right now. And one candidate has a really substantial lead on those two. You would think that would translate into a really substantial lead in the horse race, in the, sure. in the vote variable. And that's not what we see. So not to discount the importance of the issues, but politics elections revolve around at least three things, parties, candidates, and issues. And the candidates and the parties have their role to play in this too. And that's where I think we push to the middle, push to a tie, I mean, Mm -hmm. Um, even though these particular issues would seem to favor Trump on balance certainly on those top two issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw the, you know, the just the head-to-head polling so even, even though Biden's approval rating is low um, and, and has been low for some yes. time. It's not like it, this was a recent trend or anything like that. It's been low for some time. One of the things that you pointed, in the pres- pointed out in the presentation yesterday um, that I thought was particularly interesting was, you know, people who... Uh, there were there were a section of voters who would be in the somewhat uh, yes. disapprove column uh, in the yeah. approval rating for Biden, but it was interesting that a, a slight edge among those voters went to voting for Biden. Yes. So even those who somewhat disapprove of Biden, more of those voters. We're going to project it to vote for Biden in the head-to-head. This, I might right. be not explaining yeah. that correctly. Yeah, I think but, you've got it. Yeah. Um, there are two things that were sort of interesting in it. Now, normally we and everybody else just reports the percent approve and the percent disapprove. Mm-hmm. So we collapse together strongly approve and somewhat approve and somewhat disapprove and strongly disapprove. And that makes tons of sense, or at least it used to. But we actually allow people in answering the question to give four levels of response. So when we break that out and then look at how vote is related to it, somewhat surprisingly, whether you strongly approve or just somewhat approve makes no difference. 94 or 95% are voting for Biden in those two categories. But when we go to that somewhat disapproved category where you would think on balance that would vote against him, mm-hmm. he's actually leading by, I think it's seven or eight points uh, in, the, in the split there. Mm-hmm. That is surprising in the long-term history. But we saw that show up in the 2022 elections where voters who somewhat disapproved of Biden then gave a majority of their votes to Democrats for Congress. And so it's not unprecedented in the short term for him to do well with these somewhat disapprovers. It's just not what we would have expected from data from the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, is there, you know, has this changed over time, This the impact of approval rating? Because I feel like, you know, really for the past, I don't know, I feel like decade or so, Maybe since yeah. you've been polling, you know, it, Obama had high approval ratings early in his time, but yeah. still, you know, never had that high approval ratings. Trump never had particularly high approval ratings during his presidency. Biden has had low approval ratings. So is this one of those things where it maybe makes sense to have like 
you know, I don't know, like, I'm thinking of just like a baseball statistic of like <laughs> yeah. an adjusted approval. Yeah, rating. an adjusted approval. Some analytics yes. here. Yeah. Is, there, is there, you know, that type of thing that would that would factor in? Does this not yeah. matter the same as it once right. did where, you know, you would think somebody under 50% would not win, but now right. it seems like every president's under 50%. That's exactly right on the every president under 50%. That was true of Obama for much of his term, all of Trump's term not all, but most of Biden's term. There are two things going on. One is the greater partisan polarization and approval, where the out party gives the president under 10% approval, no matter what's going on. Right. Democrats gave Trump less than 10% when he was in office. Republicans give uh, Biden less than 10%. That, that negative polarization. It, it really is so true. Often, yeah. and, and when you've got 40%, 45% of voters in the other party, mm-hmm. and they are so incredibly negative to the president. It doesn't much matter what independents and the other and the end party think, that's going to pull the overall average way down. And it it means that independents may be swinging towards the incumbent president meaning that the total balance actually would favor the incumbent president, even though their job approval would be quite low Mm -hmm. because of that out-party strong dislike for the incumbent. Um, How you actually deal with that is more of an open question in showing the breakdown by strength of approve and disapprove. We certainly see very clearly that the somewhat disapproves are not adamantly opposed to the president the way the strong disapproves mm-hmm. really are adamantly mm-hmm. opposed. You can kind of think of yourself, what kind of a Republican would say they only somewhat disapprove of the job Biden's doing? Given party polarization, they would surely almost all be in the strong disapproval category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was like 45% or something like it, that in ex- strong disapproval. Exactly. Yeah. And so... What we're There's left, the Trump base right there. There, there it is. It is. Yeah. And, and again, it, this one is bipartisan. Democrats yeah. felt the same way about Trump when he was in office. Right. But what you end up with, especially right now with Biden, is Democrats and independents who are disappointed with Biden for one reason or another, but are many of them quite negative towards Donald Trump. And so you end up with these lower approval numbers overall, more somewhat disapproves. But those somewhat disapproves don't mean that they like Donald Trump. It just means they somewhat disapprove of Biden. Mm -hmm. The balance of that then ekes out, like I say, a seven or eight point Biden advantage with that group. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is helping keep him in the game when if you were just looking at the raw approval percentage, You'd say he ought to be. He's getting forty-one percent approval. He ought to be getting about forty-one percent of the vote. Right. Instead, he's getting forty-nine percent of the vote. Yeah, I was looking at the favorability numbers for for both Biden and Trump in this poll, and they're basically identical. So I think it's like one is forty-one percent, one is forty percent for favorable, and they're both fifty-eight percent unfavorable. So, and I think you noted during the presentation yesterday too was that I think it was what eighteen percent of voters are are view both candidates unfavorably. unfavorably. Yes. Yeah. Um, is there any precedent for that in, in I, Wisconsin since well, you've been polling? Yes, there is. And it's 2016, Clinton versus Trump. 
when it was uh, 28% disliked both at the end, at, over the whole campaign. Over the, on the at whole. the very end of the campaign, it was about 21% negative towards both. Mm-hmm. So we're a little bit, we're, we're definitely lower than over the whole year in 2016. But that changes over the course of the campaign. And we don't have enough uh, January polling to do it sort of comparatively. Bottom line, though, is these two now look di- more disliked on <laughs> for both of them than any election since 2012, including governor, Senate, presidential mm-hmm. races. Um, by a fair margin, except for that 2016 number. Indeed, when these two faced each other in 2020, it was 12% that were negative towards both. So over these last three going on four years, we've come to like dislike both of them more. Mm -hmm. It could change. Again, as we go through the campaign, especially when voters settle in that these are the two choices my party has nominated this person, their party's nominated that person. I would expect to see this number come down, but it hadn't happened in the November and January polls where we didn't see any change in that. It was 18% both times. Yeah, I feel like looking back at some of the other polls, I was looking back at my breakdowns of, of some of the 2020 equivalents uh, you know along the timeline and what we were talking about in in february of of 2020 was the democratic primary you know i think at the time bernie sanders was number one mike bloomberg was number two uh in that february 2020 poll uh you know to what extent is the lack of competitiveness in the gop primary with trump being so far ahead uh, of everybody else. To what extent do you think that is impacting, you know, just the Biden-Trump horse race? I, I think there are two things. One is because they've been, by uh, the Republican candidates have been campaigning elsewhere. They haven't been visiting the state to campaign for right. obvious reasons. We don't vote until April, right. even if it were a close race. Um, and Biden certainly has limited his primary work to South Carolina, basically. But he has been here twice recently, mm-hmm. but that's surely a general election strategy. Right. So I think that voters here in the state are not getting the dose of primary news and campaign and advertising that you would if you were in one of the early primary states. That's true. Um, but what we ask, we asked this question about who do you think do you think Joe Biden will be the nominee? Do you think yeah, Donald yeah. Trump will be the nominee? And about twenty percent of Democrats still doubt that Trump will be the nominee, and about thirty percent of Republicans doubt that Biden will be the nominee. So whether that's just cheap talk, you know, I don't think he'll make it. You know, there's so much that could go wrong. Or whether it's really a considered opinion that I think for some reasons that people might say. But the upshot of that is we don't have universal agreement that this really is the race between Biden and Trump. Some aspect of denial. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and also just maybe not focusing. Yeah. Um, um, again, we're not in the midst of a campaign here right now. People do dislike both candidates, or at least 18% do. 
it's pretty easy to convince yourself that maybe the people you don't like won't, in fact, be the nominee at this point. Yeah. But wait until June. Wait until July. In fact, indeed, maybe just wait until early March. Um, <clears throat> and so I think at that point, once the both the parties' primaries are just so obviously wrapped up, the last opponents have dropped out, um, I think then we will see a more more focus on the real choice between Biden and Trump. If you really hate that choice, well, you've got maybe three or maybe four candidates that you could vote for on the third party lines. And of course, you could always skip the presidential line on your ballot or stay home altogether. But that stuff is going to happen in the summer and the fall as the reality of the choices we face are undeniable, mm-hmm. and as the election looms and people have to make up their minds. Well, and here in Milwaukee, we'll have we'll have the convention uh, front and center too, so people will not be able to uh, to really overlook that one, at least in our backyard here. Um, one more thing on the Biden Trump matchup before I want to move on to some some state and issue polling type stuff. Uh, is just independent voters. You know, I think the whole country is often interested. Uh, the people who, are, who pay attention to this stuff are interested in those those independent swing voters in the state of Wisconsin. The, the very small sliver of people who are going to ultimately decide this election, perhaps. Um, in in your polling uh, that that was just released, Biden had the slight edge. Uh, among those among those independent voters, um, to what extent do you think that matters at this stage in the race? And you know, how does that fit with with the other trends with these two candidates and independent voters? Yeah. So, independents for us are people who, when we first ask, "Are you a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent?" They say, "I'm independent." But then we follow up and say, "Well, do you feel closer to the Democrats or closer to the Republicans?" Those who say, no, not closer to either one, I'm just an independent. Those are the people that we consider independents. And just to give you a sense, people who initially say they're partisan <clears throat> vote around 95% with party. Mm-hmm. Those who say independent but then say I'm closer to a party vote 80 to 85% with the party. So they're pretty partisan, mm-hmm. but they're not as partisan as that first group. And then finally we're left with these pure independents who don't lean. Um, that runs between 10 and 15% of the electorate here. Okay. Uh, so it's not a big group of people, but in a state where elections are decided by less than 1%, uh, they can be a pretty important swing factor. Um, what we've seen in the last couple of polls is the independents have leaned a bit to Biden. But they're also, by definition, unanchored to party, so they can be swung in the short term by events, by things the candidates say or do, and so on. Or like a billion dollars in advertising. Or like a billion dollars in advertising. There are some other characteristics of them, though. As a group, they're generally less involved in politics, pay less attention, are a bit less likely to vote tend to not think of themselves in ideological terms as liberal or conservative. And also, usually in our questions, they are people 
pretty put out with government, pretty alienated from government. I'm, I'm generalizing here. Um, but it is Wisconsin, and we have very high turnout. So even with all of those reasons why these aren't very involved voters, mm-hmm. um, we will see a significant turnout from the independents. So how they decide will matter a lot. But if partisans take a long time to get the news and understand what's happening in a campaign, who's ahead, who's likely to be the nominee, these folks who are even more removed from it may very well not be tuning into the race until sometime late into the fall. Mm-hmm. And that makes it tricky because we could see them shift around. Yeah, this is just anecdotal observation, but I feel like there are a lot of Wisconsinites who kind of hate both parties and then will be in the independence because of that, but, yeah. they, but you know, might have uh, certain issues that, that will pull them either way. And we'll see those issues hammered in ads exactly. ad nauseum uh, exactly. over the next nine months and, here. And one of the dilemmas for the parties is, are you trying to reach those voters who are hard to reach, who aren't committed to you, or do you just pound away on your base voters and because you get one base voter to the polls, you know you've got almost a guaranteed vote from that base. But you go after these independents, and it costs a lot to get to them and to convince them of anything. And um, then they may not, uh, maybe they vote 55 45 for your guy. But that was an awful lot of expense for a little bit of gain. Um, I personally think communicating to those voters is more important, not less important. But there are plenty of political professionals that think it's just a game of mobilizing your base. And that's a a debate to be settled by the vote count in the end. That's right. Well, there's always some push and pull there. Um, So one one thing, you know, I want to move on then to some some state issues. You know, I think the, the nation will tune into your poll to find out uh, the, the, where the presidential race is at. But those of us here in Wisconsin always pay very close attention uh, to what's happening elsewhere. And I think it's interesting now that you have included uh, approval ratings for the governor, the legislature, and the state Supreme Court. So, so walk me yeah. through the, uh, the results that you found there and, and what, you know, what stood out to you. Yeah. We've always done the governor's right, governor approval president and governor. Those have been staples from the very beginning. And we occasionally did the legislative approval, usually when it was in session and dealing with the budget or something like Mm -hmm. that. And we had never done the Supreme Court until November. Um, But thinking about it, I decided, you know, we really should do all three branches of government and just make that a routine thing. When you only put a question on when something's happened, you won't see the true dynamics over time because you'll only be picking those moments when something happened. So when we look at approval of the governor over time, we can really see in a lot of detail when that approval went up, when it went down. But we don't have that with the legislature. So now we will have it through, through the foreseeable future. And with the court becoming the center of a lot of public debate, um, it just made a lot of sense to go ahead and include that third branch of government at this time. And again, do it every time so we can see how it moves. One thing you find right away is almost everybody has an opinion of the governor, but quite a few people don't have an opinion of the legislature and an even bigger percentage don't have an opinion of, of the court. 
those of us that pay attention to what happens in, in government all the time and in Madison all the time certainly appreciate that the Supreme Court's been doing big and important things. But the average citizen out there that's not following this as intensely may not see news coverage or talk coverage, whatever their source of talk is. People who are just living their lives. Okay, yes, or exactly. Not into in, it like we are. In yeah. the bucolic areas of Wisconsin. <laughs> um, but but I, seriously, the upshot is you, you do have different levels of information where the governor's much more frequently in the news. The legislature's in the news, but maybe not as understandably because it's not a single person and then the court because of the nature of its business and the way they decide things and it's pretty technical what a court decision is those things are much harder for the public to pick up on but the top lines tony evers is still running a net net approve uh approval rating Mm -hmm. Uh, just over 50 percent approved that's slightly down from november but still pretty solid net approval. For, for um, a state as polarized, Tony Evers is pretty well liked. He is. He really yeah. is. And that stood out during the 22 election campaign mm-hmm. as well when we were tracking this. Um, the legislature is way underwater. Um, more disapproval. That is true of almost every legislature everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, legislative bodies don't have good images with the public. Um, making the making the sausage is not pretty. Um, but also, you know, legislative bodies do get judged on their successes and failures, too. It's just it begins with a little bit of a barrier of uh, negativity towards them. And the, with the court, it's much more this issue of how many people know what the court's doing or paying attention to the court's actions. And that's very episodic because run-of-the-mill cases that they decide none of us will ever hear about. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, the redistricting decision was a big decision for the state and for legislators. And you polled that as well. And we polled that. Yeah. But even so, we found a quarter of the public didn't have an opinion on redistricting. Mm -hmm. So... There is this difference in the amount of information people have about each institution. Yeah. You know, I thought the the number for the legislature uh, was interesting. Like you mentioned, that you know, often not great. If you poll Congress, Congress is not going to have uh, a strong approval rating. But, like, over the years that you've polled the Wisconsin legislature, this is the worst net negative that the legislature has had. Um do you think that has something to do with the fact that they have been more in the spotlight uh, with the redistricting case, you know, with a lot of the, the politics in Wisconsin of the past year? There's been a lot of stories about the legislature, as, as recombobulation area readers will yes. know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think that, it, unfortunately, we didn't do a spring poll this year, mm-hmm. or last year, mm-hmm. an odd-numbered mm-hmm. year. And so we didn't catch views of the legislature right at the time that they were passing the budget. Sure. Which, you know, did get passed on time. It did have some big compromises in it that, you know, people were either more or less happy with. But the fact was, on education, for example, Evers got something and the school choice people got something. Mm -hmm. So that was, in one sense, sort of normal 
in the before times anyway, normal <laughs> legislative bargaining that produces a package that there's something to be happy about and something not to be happy about. Sure. I wish we had gotten a good measure of legislative approval at that moment. Um, we just didn't because our polling schedule was different in odd-numbered years, so we didn't catch that. Um, so it might have been better over the summer. But over the fall and winter, I think we've seen legislative issues be things that the governor says he'll veto so they don't go very far, or they're introduced in one house but then not even taken up in the other house. So you get the kind of legislative inaction that typifies Congress these days as well. So I think maybe the those sorts of things right now have more been examples of the legislature not legislating or not doing it in a way that can get a governor's signature. Mm-hmm. But maybe over the spring or summer that might have been higher, but now that's just speculation. Yeah, it seems to, you know, it always is amplified a little bit more when it's connected to a specific party or a specific individual. Like somebody, you know, let's say somebody in Milwaukee uh, might not be happy with the state legislature at large under Republican control, but might like their individual representative or something like that too. So that could, of course, change things. Do you think it is mostly people reacting to the Republican-controlled state legislature? I think you react to the body as an institution rather than the individuals in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you may blame or credit particular individuals in particular cases. But generally, it's the body collectively making a decision. And people can be pleased or unhappy with that. In a way, it would be better if it was personalized in the way that the governor personalizes the institution of the executive. Sure. It's easy to connect the executive with Tony Evers. It's hard to connect the legislature writ large with the speaker or the Senate majority leader. There's just not that same personalization of the institution. And we see these fractures even within the Republican Party, where the Assembly and the Senate don't always agree, even though it's Republican majorities in both. Do you think, you know, Robin Voss is the longest-serving Assembly Speaker in state history, uh, and I feel like a lot of times he will stand in as that, you know, avatar for the Republican-controlled state legislature. He has a remarkably low favorability rating, but he also has a large number of voters who don't have an opinion of him so so how do you what do you make of his favorability rating because it really doesn't seem to have any relationship to any other favorability rating in the poll that's right well first of all it's structural any member of the assembly is elected by one of 99 legislative districts so he's literally elected by one 99th of the state So if you're in any of the other 98 legislative districts, why would you even know anything about him except for the position that he holds? Uh You've never voted for the guy. Sure. And again, that's just purely the structure of the institution. So in that, I think it's unsurprising that he has this very large don't know rate. And in a way, you'd want to look at his approval rating or taking out the don't knows Uh and only look at those with an opinion. But those if net numbers are the still... The net numbers are still quite negative. Yeah. Why are they? Republicans are pretty positive to him, 
But Democrats are overwhelmingly negative if they know who he is. Mm-hmm. And independents tend to be pretty negative as well. So he does enjoy the approval or the support of his partisans out mm-hmm. there in the electorate if they know who he is. But upwards of 40-plus percent don't know who he is, maybe even be 50 percent. Um, with Democrats, um, in some of our polls, Democrats have actually been more aware of who he is than Republicans have been. This time, it's just a point or two difference. With Democrats, just slightly more aware. But the lopsidedness of Democratic disapproval is matched up against a lop, uh, a majority, but not as lopsided a majority of approval among Republicans. Mm-hmm. So I think those are elements of this. Um, but I think also just the long-term polarization in the state, the role that the Speaker has played on controversial issues. He is sort of the figure vis-a-vis the governor that you see far more than the Senate leadership, mm-hmm. whether of the current Senate leader or the previous Senate leader. We saw the same pattern that they didn't appear as frequently as the legislative voice as the Speaker has done. That's both sides, yeah. yeah. All right, so we just got a couple minutes before we wrap up here. Uh, just taking a big picture look at the poll, did anything, any single result really surprise you from this one? Because I was going through it, you know, a lot of the Biden's Trump stuff is kind of what we expected. Yeah. You look at Wisconsin, it's going to be a toss-up. Yeah. Uh, you look at some of these issues like, you know, marijuana legalization yeah. or abortion rights tend to be, you know, kind of more on the Democratic side of support of things. Is there any yeah. any other poll result really jump out at you? This yeah, time? we sort of save the best for last here. I think the enthusiasm issue is a gigantic one. And how it changes over the year is going to be something I'll pay a lot of attention to. Um, overall, we ask people how enthusiastic are you to vote in the November election. And in this poll, 40% say they're very enthusiastic. But four years ago in January of 2020, it was 70% very enthusiastic. In January. In January. Just, we're apples to apples comparison. Yeah. January to January, pre-pandemic. Um, and so 30% less enthusiastic at this point is a big decline. And it was also 40% or just a shade less in November. So we're not just looking at a one-poll fluke. When we look at vote by enthusiasm, those who are very enthusiastic, that 40%, are going heavily for Trump. But when we go to the next three categories of enthusiasm, Biden has substantial majorities in all three of those less enthusiastic groups. So if the electorate that shows up in November is only the enthusiastic, we'd be seeing a big Trump victory. Mm -hmm. Uh, The task for Democrats is to convince those less enthusiastic people who may be less enthusiastic because they have disappointments with Biden, whether it's over the environment or whether it's over Israel and Gaza or whether it's because they think he's old or whatever those Mm -hmm. disappointments are. Um, It seems to be driving down their enthusiasm for voting even though they still favor Biden. In other words, it's not converting people into Trump supporters. It's rather lowering the enthusiasm among people who should, under normal circumstances, be expected to be pro-Biden voters. And we see that they are pro-Biden. It's just 
the enthusiasm's low. Yeah. Now, it doesn't translate directly into voter turnout because we have Trump up by one with likely voters who say, I'm absolutely sure I'm going to the polls. And it's Biden by five among those who are less than absolutely certain to vote. That's a smaller gap for in Biden's favor, whereas on the enthusiasm side, it's an even bigger pro-Biden gap. Um, so I think what the Biden campaign has to do is find a way to speak to those folks who don't like Trump but are disappointed in Biden and try to convince them that there's a reason for them to support Biden mm-hmm. and maybe even do so with a little enthusiasm. <laughs> or even if you're not enthusiastic, still come to the polls and vote. In the end, that's the last, no matter how you feel. But the the warning sign here goes back to that 2016 race when both Clinton and Trump were even more mutually un, uh, unfavorable mm-hmm. in people where we had a surge in third-party voting, bigger than we had had in other recent elections, where people who decided late in the campaign broke heavily for Trump in 2016. Um, And I think that's the sort of warning sign that when voters were disaffected by both candidates, it was a rich opportunity for third-party voting in 16. yeah, we'll have to see who makes the ballot this year, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. And, again, we are nine months away from the election. A third of the public in this poll didn't have an opinion of Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, over 60% didn't have opinions of the other independent candidates, Jill Stein and Cornell West. So over the summer, fall, people will, if they're on the ballot here, get to know them better, maybe nothing like the way they know Biden and Trump, but Mm -hmm. better. And they'll learn to see them not just as neutral alternatives that maybe I wouldn't dislike them the way I do dislike Biden and Trump, but rather to find that, you know, for some people, they'll turn out to be very appealing as you learn more about them. But for others, you learn more about them and you say, oh, well, I guess that guy's not really, or that woman is not really the thing I wanted after all. Um, So I'd watch the third party over the year to see if their support declines as we get closer to Election Day, which often does happen in in polling before elections with third party candidates. But I come back to enthusiasm. I think, are these less enthusiastic people that support Biden really going to unenthusiastically march to the polls and vote for him? Or are they going to be wooed away by the third party candidates or to not vote mm-hmm. let's watch that because it's a pretty big difference there well we'll keep an eye on that enthusiasm and we'll keep an eye on what I'm going to call the begrudging Biden voters <laughs> uh, Charles thank you so much for your time here really appreciate it and thank- look, look forward to uh, having a few more of these conversations uh, over the course of the year absolutely I'm happy to do them look forward to it myself thanks for having me All right, thanks so much Thank you all for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to read more of my full breakdown of the Marquette University Law School poll, head on over to the Recombobulation Area. The Recombobulation Area is a reader-funded, independent online publication covering news and politics in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. 
subscribe to help support our work. Thank you for recombobulating with us. We'll see you next time.